So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102 of Ham, which is a Common Sea Inspirations production being produced here in our Common Sea studio here in Ada. And this, the 13th of June, it's the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley, and I'm going to present the programme again. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thank you very much, Shane, for staying with me this morning. And also we want to welcome, as usual, our listeners, our faithful listeners who listen to us each week, especially those who are housebound, those who are lonely and struggling in some way. And we do hope that we continue to bring you some support these days and some confidence in terms of our faith journeys. Our programme is broadcast at West Limit 102 at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. And podcasts of Sacred Space 102 FM are just some of the Come and See Inspirations podcasts available for playback and download at our Come and See Inspirations podcast page. You can also actually uh, access those through Spotify, iTunes and other Google podcasts, as well as, of course, the Limic Diocesan website. Uh, All of our programmes are also on there. And as well as that, we do have a a presence on Facebook by just searching for Come and See Inspirations. If you want to contact us at all, our text number is 87 6088667 that's 0876088667 or email com. now just one notice that I just want to bring to listeners attention uh, it is um, in regards to a novena for the, the Redemptive Novena the, uh, for a Lady of Perpetual Help which as we've flagged in more recent weeks uh, will start uh, next week on the June the 18th uh, on Friday and continue on to the 26th. Uh, the sessions are 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 7.15 p.m. and 9 p.m. That's 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 7.15 p.m. and 9 p.m. Now, it does start, as I said, next Friday. And included, of course, in that novena is Sunday next, uh, the 20th of June. And we're delighted to be able to bring listeners uh, the 10 a.m. session from Mount St. Alphonsus in Limerick. And also Father, Father Seamus Enright will, will join us just to tell us a few words about the novena for this year. So that's the novena to Our Lady of Perpetual Help, 18th, starting next Friday, 18th of June to 26th of June, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 7.15 p.m. and 9 p.m. And of course, only can be accessed on novena.ie online. Now also, um, there is also because of the Lewis pilgrimage has, has also not taken place this year, but uh, there is a virtual pilgrimage being taken place. And I'm delighted now to introduce Father Frank, du- Father Frank, Father Frank O'D, who's the diocesan director for the for the Lewis pilgrimage from Limerick. And Father Frank now lets us know a little bit more about what's happening for that particular pilgrimage this year. So now we're joined by Father Franco D, who is the director of the Lermic Diaston Lourdes Pilgrimage, the annual Lourdes Pilgrimage, which of course this year has to be held uh, virtually. And so Father Frank, uh, thanks again for joining us. Um, can you tell us what's involved this year? Well, first of all, thank you, John, for inviting me to uh, promote our pilgrimage again this year. Unfortunately, as you know, we are unable to go to Lourdes um, physically, but we are having a, a virtual pilgrimage while it's a virtual pilgrimage, is also it's going to be a really a prayerful experience. We hope for those who will be joining in. Now the dates this year are from the Thursday, the seventeenth of June, until Sunday, the twentieth of June. So this year we're having we'll be having four masses in the morning. That'll be at ten o'clock each morning. 
And the first morning we will be coming from here in Drumcolor, I will be the celebrant and the, some of the Broadford Youth Choir will be singing. And then on the evening we will have the uh, Stations of the Cross and the Karina Horgan, who is the matron of the pilgrimage, will be leading those. Then on Friday the 18th, Mass will be take place and the former director, Kenan Donald McNamara, he will be the chief celebrant and that will be from St. Lelia's Church in Limerick City. And then on the evening, that will be at 10 o'clock, and then that evening going out at 9 o'clock will be the Rosary um, and Kamal Sheridan, who is the chief handmaid, will be looking after that. And the singing and music will be Gina O'Brien and some of the Lord's Choir. On Saturday, then, we will be going to Kilmallach. Mass again will be at 10 o'clock in the morning. And the chief celebrant there will be Father Chris O'Donnell. And the part of the youth team by Eva will be involved in that. And they will be doing the singing, Eva Walsh, and they will be um, leading the singing and the prayers. And on, on that evening, there will be, at 9 o'clock, there will be a healing ceremony similar to the washing of the hands and, and doing and taking part in the vats. Then on the final day then, on Sunday the 20th, all at 10 o'clock in the morning, the Chief Sullivan will be the Bishop, and that will be in Corpus Christi Church in uh, Limerick City. As I said, the Bishop will be Chief Sullivan at the Mass, and also the those who are leading the singing there will be Gina Bryan and the musicians of the, and some of the singers from the the, the our choir from in Limerick. And on the, that evening, we'll be concluding them with evening prayer and the final blessing and saying a few words of thanks. Now, a big difference this year is different to last year. This year, we're inviting people to um, leave petitions. We have a special um, page set up. It's Limerick Lords Pilgrimage at limerickdiocese.org. So if people would like for specific prayers and petitions, people to be prayed for, during our four days of the pilgrimage, they can email those petitions to that email address, as I said, Limerick Lord's Pilgrimage at org. And those those prayers will be, we will print off each of the petitions and prayers and requests, and they will be placed in the church where each ceremony takes place. And this year then, the, the, the pilgrimage can be viewed on our Limerick Diocesan Facebook page, and also, it can be um, viewed on the, the diocesan website, and that's dioceseoflimbic.org. That's the Limbic diocesan website. So there are plenty of opportunities for people to, as I said, through Facebook or through the website. And we would encourage people to send in those petitions. And now, they, obviously, they won't all be able to be read out, but some of them will be read out during the, the four days of our virtual pilgrimage. So hopefully people will be able to join us. And I said, it's, it's, while it's a virtual privilege, it's also hopefully going to be a real prayerful experience. One of the messages, or one of the um, St. Bernadette, when she left Lourdes for the last time, I think she only went back once in her life. But she said she went there, there every day in her heart and in her mind. So and it's, it's a similar for us. While we can't physically go to Lourdes, we can be with each other in prayer and we can... Um, go to Lord's in our hearts as we pray to Our Lady and as we um, pray for each other during these four days. So, John, hopefully, and I thank you, John, for giving me this opportunity. Hopefully, that's fairly clear. So, that the 
the 17th to the 20th and mass every morning at 10 o'clock and then the evening liturgy will go out at 9 o'clock that evening. So we thank Father Frank for sharing that information with us. Um, and again, just to remind listeners again, of course, that can be accessed at the Limerick Diocesan website. So now we'll hand over to Shane Ambrose. And Shane, of course, at this point of the programme, will share with us some saints for the week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So as you would have said at the top of the programme, we are in the we're back into ordinary time, folks. So normal things between now and basically pretty much uh, Cor- uh, not Corpus Christi, Christ the King at the end of November. So today is the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time. For those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week three. So Saints this week, John, um, not many high hitters, a couple of quite a few off the Irish calendar. So we'll go through them and see how we go. So Monday, the 14th of June is the Feast of St. Davenant. Now she's a saint associated with um, Schlievebeg in County Monaghan. And she, tradition speaks for her as a virgin and a founder of a church or a monastery in that area. And for many years, there was a staff or a bachel, which said to have been hers, which was preserved and in the past was used as a means of assessing truth. So that's St. Davenet uh, on, the, on the 14th. On the 15th, we celebrate the feast day of Blessed Albertina Birkenbrock. Uh, she is a, well, with a saint like that, with a name like that, you would have to say, she would have said German connections, but actually she's regarded as a Brazilian saint. Uh, she is a layperson in the Diocese of Tubaro in Brazil. And she was born in 1919 in Santa Catarina in Brazil. Um, she made her, uh, and one of the interesting things why she's a blessed is at the age of 12, she was attacked by one of her father's employees who tried to rape and assault her. And she fought back. Um, and then when he realized that he had failed and that she could identify him, she, the attacker killed her. And she's considered a martyr in the defense of chastity. And she died in 1931 in Santa Catarina in Brazil. So that's uh, Blessed Albertina Birkenbrock. Uh, Then on Wednesday, the 16th of um, June, we have the feast day of St. Coleman Macri. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, He was a spiritual student of St. Columba of Iona, whose feast day we celebrated last week. He was a deacon and helped founded the monastery on Lambay Island, which was known as Richkrim, I think is how it's pronounced. And he served as its abbot and he died. He's a sixth century saint and he died of natural causes. Thursday, the 17th is the feast day of St. Moling of Wexford. Um, a monk at Glendalock, uh, Bishop of Ferns, and eventually resigned to spend his latter years as a prayerful monk. And he died on the 17th of June, 697, of natural causes. Then on Friday the 18th, we have the feast day of, let me see if I can pronounce this properly, St. Elizabeth of Shono, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, German, born to German nobility. Raised and educated at the Abbey in Shono, near Bingen in Germany from the age of 12. She was a friend of St. Hildegard von Bingen, abbess at the Abbey until 15, from 1157 until her death. So our, our friend Elizabeth from 1152, she received ecstasies and visions of Jesus and Mary. And uh, with the help of her brother, she wrote three volumes describing it. And she had poor health. She died in 1164. She was added to the list of saints by Gregory the 13th in 1584, and she's a patron saint against those that suffer from temptation. 
And then finally, John, on Saturday, uh, on the Irish calendar, we have the feast day of Blessed Dermot or Hurley and Companions. These are a group of the Irish martyrs. And Archbishop Dermot or Hurley of Cashel, he was martyred in 1584. And his companions are Blessed Bishop Terence Albert O'Brien, who was a Dominican, John Carney, who was a Franciscan, and William Terry, who was an Augustinian. And they're commemorated on the 19th of June. And in addition to that, on the general calendar, it's also the feast day of St. Romuald, who was a monk, who uh, lived a strict life of penance and solitude, and established the Camaldi monasteries in Tuscany, and he died in 1027. So that's what we have, John, in terms of our celestial guides this week. Shane, thank you very much, Neil, for sharing that with us. So now we'll have our spiritual communion prayer, and of course this is what we, the, the prayer we pray each Sunday here for those who can't receive Jesus sacramentally in Holy Communion. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as being already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now, just before we go for our first bit of music, Shane, we've got a special guest joining us in part two today. Yes, we have an interesting one. We're going across the pond, folks, crossing the Atlantic to Kansas uh, to hear about a, a saint whose cause has been introduced and it's Father... Uh, and we're going to be talking to Father John Hotze about uh, Father Emil Capon. So join us again in part two. Too, but in the meantime, we'll go with a piece of music because of the Lewis pilgrimage uh, being cancelled this year. I thought maybe it appropriate that maybe that we'd play um, a little bit of the the bells of the Angelus by Phil Cooter. So join us again in part two.
good morning, listeners, and welcome back to Sacred Space 102 FM. My name is Shane Ambrose. Delighted to have you here this morning with us here on West Limerick 102. So this morning, we are going to travel across the Atlantic Ocean, and we are going all the way to the Diocese of Wichita in uh, the US of A, and we're talking to Father John Potsy. Good morning, Father John. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Right, so the, first thing, the first thing I have to ask you is, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> the Diocese of Wichita is the the southeast corner or the south southeast quarter of the state of Kansas. Um, if you think of the U- United States, um, if you just put a put a pin right in the middle of the United States, that's pretty close to where we're at. Very good, very good. We're delighted to have you on the program this morning. And the reason we're heading all the way across the Atlantic this morning to have this conversation is we're talking about an interesting gentleman who's was in the news recently in the US of A. And that is a man that is that is called Father Emile Capon. And Father Emile is from Kansas. He's from the diocese. And he's an interesting story that Father John is going to talk to us about this morning. Now, the reason he popped up on my news feed is, of course, that uh, his remains were recently recovered because he was, uh, well, Father John, why don't you tell us his story? Who is Emile Capon, and why are we interested in hearing about him this morning? All right, great. Um, Father Emile Capon was a priest of the Diocese of Wichita. Um, and if I can, I'll start at the end, or what we've just been working on now. Um, he was a, a chaplain in the Korean conflict, um, and he passed away in a prisoner war camp in 1951. And... At first, we believed that his remains were buried in a mass grave along the Yalu River, uh, which is the river that separates North Korea and China. Um, we have since found, or th- while, while we were investigating his life, some things came to light, uh, and we found out that he was not buried in one of these mass graves, that he was buried away from that. Uh, and then it started. we started to investigate that, and we found out that his remains could very well be back in the United States, that they had been returned to the United States after the war, um, and that he was could be buried in uh, what was called, what is called the Punch Bowl, which is a national cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii, um, a, a military cemetery. Um, so we started doing investigation, and the, go- the government, uh, Department of Defense, um, has been working trying to identify unknown soldiers uh, there that are interred there uh, at this national cemetery. Uh, and it just so happened that they found Father Caban's remains in the cemetery. Uh, so this is 70 years after he passed away that, that, that we found his remains and that he'll be returning back to Kansas. Now, okay, the U.S. has a very has a very strong tradition, particularly in its military, of they don't leave anyone behind, and particularly for those that are called MIA, missing in action. So, in one sense, the fact that you know Father Capon's remains have been found and are being brought home to Kansas is great. But I suppose my listeners are going to be sitting there this morning, and they're going to be saying, "So, what has that got to do with me sitting in West Limerick? What's the big deal?" The big deal is Father Capon. I believe, is a a perfect saint for our times. Mm. Um, When you look at his life, uh, when you look at what he did, um, we see that he died in service to his fellow prisoners in the prisoner war camp. Um, But you can't just look at that as his life. Um, He lived his entire life in service to others. Uh, one One of the men that I 
uh, interviewed um, while investigating his cause for canonization uh, was a man named Phil O'Brien, who worked for the Department of Defense. And his task was to identify everybody that had died in this prisoner war camp. Um, in this prisoner war camp, there were 3,000 people that were interred there, and 1,600 of them died. Uh, so that was 65% of them died in the prisoner war camp. So he literally interviewed everybody that he could find that was alive from the prisoner war camp uh, to try to determine who was there. And this Phil O'Brien not, is not a Catholic. And he started hearing stories about Father Capon and his service to his fellow men in the POW camp. And when I first started to interview him, he said, Father Hatsi, I am not a, I'm not a Catholic. And, but I do believe that if there's anybody that is a saint, it's Father Caban, uh, because of the amazing things he did in the prisoner war camp. But I said to him then, I said, well, he did do amazing things in the POW camp, but I think you have to look at his life earlier because he began his service well before the prisoner war camp. Uh, he began his service when he was ordained a priest, but then you can say he uh, began his service when he was growing up there in the small town of Pilsen, Kansas, uh, as he would ride his bike to go serve mass at, at the, his local church. Um, he was of service on the farm when he grew up. Um, he grew up in the 1920s and 1930s here in the United States, which was in the midst of the Great Depression. Um, so he spent his time uh, building, a, a, for example, building a chicken coop so that they could raise chickens, uh, so that they could have eggs for his family, so that he could supply their neighbors with eggs. Um, he was just uh, an all-around good guy. And when you look at what he did and you look at his humble beginnings, you see that he did all of this and had nothing. Um, he has received the um, Medal of Honor which is the highest uh, honor that the military pays to any man. Uh, we just received word that he's going to receive the equivalent of the Medal of Honor uh, from the South Korean government uh, in July. Um, and so we see the, the, the great things that he did, the great things that he's being acknowledged for. And he was just a Kansas farm boy. Um, I, love it. I, I, love, I love the way you said that. He was just a Kansas farm boy. And I suppose that, for me, is one of the, the kings about this story, which really strikes me about it. Because, like you said, you know, in a, in a, in a technical sense, what we're saying is we want, we're, we're, the, we're, the, the diocese is saying to the church, this is a man who could be a saint and an example for the world. So, what, so at the moment, we're going through the formal process that the church has for deciding if a person is a saint. So at the moment, Father Capon is what we call, is it a servant of God? He's uh, a servant of God. God, right? And then the next couple of steps, the next step is venerable, then beatification, where you're declared a blessed, and then canonization, where you're declared a saint. So from an Irish, from an Irish perspective, if people were trying to figure out servant of God, well, who's that? In an Irish context, the current examples there at the moment would be Frank Duff, the founder of the Legion of Mary, um, who, who's, who, who, so they're on, they'd be on the same step in terms of the overall process. Right. But in terms of in terms of it, uh, Father Capon's story, I, I love that idea that simple farm boy who became a priest and went on to serve in the U.S. military. Now, of course, it's an interesting thing. Um, in military sense, it's slightly different between Ireland and the U.S. because in Ireland, our chaplains are chaplains to the forces. That's their that's their rank. But right. in the but in the U.S. 
the chaplains are actually ranked. They 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 carry rank in the U.S. Army. So he was serving. He was a, he was a, he he he. When did he join up? Well, he first served in World War Two. Um, um, he served in in um, India and Burma in World War Two, um, and then after World War Two, he came back home to the United States. Um, the bishop had had him go and study at Catholic University of America. Uh, where he got a degree in history and a degree in education. Um, so then he came back and he was assigned as pastor of his home parish. Um, but then the military um, uh, sent out a call and asked for chaplains to consider to re-enlist because they were sort of chaplains, uh, especially where, when things started to happen over in the Far East and in Korea. Um, they look like they, they seem that they were needing, they were going to have some needs. Um, and um, so Father Capon asked the bishop if he could return to the military. At first, the bishop ignored him. Um, <laughs> and Father Capon uh, didn't let that, that stop him. So he asked about six months later. And finally, the bishop acquiesced and told him that he could go back to the service. Um, just one interesting story. Um, uh, when he rejoined the service or rejoined the military, he was sent to uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. And Fort Bliss is in West Texas, which is basically desert area. The, the, the base had been, most of the base had been closed after World War II. Uh, so he was assigned to a, a, a little cabin to live in. Um, they said that the, the dirt or dust in the, his cabin was knee high. So he had to, he literally had to dig out the cabin to, to go into. But anyway, as, as he was signed, assigned back there, um, a, a man named Osra Barkley was uh, drafted again, or he was called back into service. And when he got to Fort Bliss, Texas, he was told that he was going to have to bunk with a Catholic chaplain. And Osra was, a, uh, was an Episcopalian. And he said, no, that he wouldn't do it. And they told him, they said, well, we don't have any other place. He said, you're either bunking with the Catholic chaplain or you're going to bunk in the, or you're going to sleep in the gutter. Um, so he said he resigned himself and he went to the, the, the cabin. He said he opened the door to the cabin and he said what was staring him in the face, but a, a huge picture of the Virgin Mary. <laughs> so he thought... What have I gotten myself into? And but uh, by by the time uh, he he did not go to Korea while Father Capon did, uh, but by the time they left each other um, or they they were separated, uh, with Father Capon going to Korea, uh, he had brought Osra into the church and he'd witnessed his marriage to his Catholic wife, and they were steadfast friends. And um, uh, I'll I'll go on and, and continue. Um, at the end of the war, Osra and his wife were very disappointed when they heard that Father Capon was dead. Um, and Osra said that he prayed for Father Capon's intercession, thinking that if anybody's in heaven, it's him. Uh, when they tried to start a family, they were told that they could not conceive children. That uh, um, uh, Margaret, his wife, they said that her, her uterus was folded in such a way that she could not get that she could not be pregnant or get pregnant. Um, they started praying for Father Capon and his, his intercession. And they had three three children. 
after the third child, the doctor called them into the office and told them that each one of their children was a miracle child because it was physically impossible for Margaret to get pregnant. And uh, I mean, that, that, that was the first uh, real miracle that we were kind of looking into. But unfortunately, all of the records had been burnt in a, in a uh, fire that was there at the hospital. But it just kind of goes to show you the type of man Father Capon was, was, I mean, be, being there for everybody. And that's what he did in the personal war camp. Mm. It did not matter. I had uh, another Episcopalian man who said, it did not matter if you were Catholic, if you were Protestant, uh, if you were Muslim, if you were, were Buddhist, or he said everybody wanted to pray with Father Capon. And he said when he came by, he was just a holy man, and he said if he offered, you prayed with him. And he mm -hmm. said he got many people through the, 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 to live through the prison war camp when it would have been very easily for, easy for them just to give up and die. But I have, I have the, to say... Yeah, I have to say, Father John, you know, just listen to his story. What it reminds me of, actually, is the example of Maximilian Kolbe, actually. It, there's, I, I can see there's a degree of, of uh, similarity in terms, yes, in terms of the story that's there. It's, and it's very, it's, it's very inspiring, I suppose. So the, he went to serve in Korea in 1950. He was part of the 8th Cavalry Regiment, uh, Cavalry Regiment um, of the Army's 1st Cavalry Division. And they were ambushed uh, at the Battle of Unsan in, on November 2nd in 1950. And he, he was part of the, uh, they were captured by, well, it was the Chinese army at the time, so captured right. by the enemy. And they were for, forced to march over 60 miles to a prison, a prison camp along the Chinese border in the bitter cold. And at the, along the way, he carried his wounded comrades and encouraged them to do this way, to do likewise. And because of his bravery of going out to give last rites and attend to the men that were being killed in that battle, he, as you said, he was awarded the, the, the Medal of Honor in 2013. So then he spent seven months in the prison of our, our war camp. And so what do we know, kind of, what was the, the, the conditions like? What was he doing with the men to try and, 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 and you know, that kind of is an example and kind of gives you kind of, What's the word I'm looking for? It gives you inspiration that this man is someone that we could look to as a model, as a role model, as a saint. Okay. Uh, well, when I, I talk about him serving his fellow POWs, uh, conditions were terrible in the prisoner war camp. Like I say, 65% of the people or of the men that were interred there died. Um, most of them died because they froze. Um, and most of them died that first winter. Um, they say that it was the coldest winter in Korea in the past 150 years, or since they started keeping track uh, of the temperatures. And um, in Korea, the wind just comes off of the Siberian plateau in no northern, northern Russia. So it just comes down and follows the peninsula. So temperatures would often be between 30 and 40 degrees below zero. Um, I don't know how to convert that to Celsius. <laughs> it's, 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 it's cold. We'll, we'll just take it that it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, so he would do what he could to get uh, warm clothes. Many of the, the soldiers still had summer uniforms. Uh, I mean, when you look at the history of the, the Korean conflict, everybody assumed that the, the conflict was going to be over before Thanksgiving. Uh, so many of them did not have, have um, winter clothing. Uh, one of the first things that happened when, when men were captured uh, was the North Koreans and the Chinese would take their shoes 
uh, because their their shoes were so much better than their own. Uh, so many of them just had whatever they could find to wrap around their feet to keep their feet from freezing. Um, uh, conditions were were dire at at best. Um, they were not given fresh water. They were given. They were on a starvation diet. Um, they were given um, uh, like 50 grams of, of millet to eat each day, uh, which is probably like a couple handfuls of this seed that they were given to eat. Uh, they weren't allowed to build fires to try to cook it or anything. So uh, their bodies would not digest the seed when it wasn't cooked um, because of the hard shell in it. Um, so not only were they uh, freezing, but they are also starving. Um, Father Capon spent his life trying to correct that. I mean, he did what he could to, to uh, steal food from the, the, the bins of the, the North Koreans and Chinese uh, to, to feed the men. Um, all of the men I talked to said that he was a man of hope and that he was able to instill hope in them um, so that they wanted to live, so that they wanted to make it out of the POW camp. Um, a Dr. Essenston that was there at POW also uh, explained to me, and he said it was very easy for the men to commit suicide. Uh, he said all they had to do to commit suicide was stop picking the lice off of their bodies. Um, and he said if they did not pick the lice off their bodies and out of their clothes every day, he said they would they would be in bad shape. And he said that's how they committed suicide, was they just did not pick the lice off their body. He said the first day, he said you wouldn't notice anything. He said the second day, they would start to look a little gray or ashen. Uh, but he said they're in a prison camp on starvation diets. He said everybody started to look that way. And he said, but on the third day, he said they were just gaunt. And he said they were pale. They, he said you, you knew at that time that they had quit uh, picking the lice off their body. Uh, but he said it was already too late. He said it was too late. He said I as a doctor couldn't do anything. He said the lice would have taken over and would have taken so much blood from them. He said, there is no way they can survive. So he said, that's how they committed suicide. And it was very easy for him to do. One of his fellow POWs, um, <coughs> a man named, named Herb Miller, who was the man that he carried uh, this distance to the POW camp, said that he woke up one morning and he said he needed to get up to use the latrine. And he said, he pushed the guy on one side of him uh, to get up and he said, that man was dead. He said he was frozen. And he said, so he pushed the guy on the other side. And he said, that man was frozen dead also. And he said, he got up realizing that if it hadn't been for these two men on either side of him dying, that he would not be alive. Uh, so like I say, the conditions were, were, were terrible. Uh, Father Capon would go and help bury the dead as much as he could. Uh, when he would do that, he would take the clothes off of those that had died uh, and give the clothes to the, the uh, men that were freezing to death so that they might be better off. Um, so between trying to provide shelter for them, uh, trying to find food to, to feed them, uh, trying to find drugs that the doctors could use to help them out as they suffered from dysentery or pneumonia or whatever it is that they were suffering from, um, he was literally somebody that gave his life for somebody else. It's a it's an inspiring it's it is an inspiring story. So, in terms of where things stand at the moment, Father John. Um, so obviously, 
In terms of the formal process, so it started off, uh, Father Emil has been declared a servant of God, so that means that the, from a church point of view, we're looking into his life, his writings, his personal experiences, the witness tentatives that are there for him. Uh, I notice as well that the diocese just celebrated its 13th um, Father Capon pilgrimage, which just was on recently as well, uh, which finished on, was it last Sunday it finished? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, last so, Sunday on. Yeah. Feast of Corpus Christi. Yeah, so it's every year, hundreds of pilgrims, they, uh, they walk 60 miles to remember the heroic army chaplain uh, because of that, obviously, that walk uh, to the POW camp uh, as well, which is, it's, it's, it's a nice one. It ends up at Father Capon's home parish uh, in, in Marion in Kansas. So in terms, of, in terms of, you know, this morning, we're just asking you to share his story. And if people wanted to find out more about Father Emil, uh, what could they do? Um, if they have access to a computer, they can go onto the computer. Uh, we have uh, several websites. Uh, you can get there through the Diocese of Wichita website, or you could also just go directly to fathercapon.org. It's just, um, I think you can get it to either spelled out F A T H E R, Father Capon, F A T H E R K A P A U N dot O R G, or also the abbreviated F R K A P A U N dot O R G. Um, there's also several groups. There's a group called Capon's Men uh, that has information on Father Capon's life. Um, they too are uh, on the, the computer. Um, so that would probably be the easiest way to find out about his life. Mm. Uh, there's been several books that have been written about him. Um, a variety of ways. To variety of ways. Yeah, there's, as you said, the, the, website, the, the websites are very impressive. Uh, the, the one from the diocese, is, 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 it's nice, simple, easy way to navigate. There's some links and resources, particularly to a book, small booklet, which is a PDF, as well as some uh, documentary. The, Capon, the, the Capon's main website is, is quite, they've, they've taken this man to heart. Uh, there's, there's podcasts, there's video series, there's the pilgrimage. Uh, they also do a, a podcast. It's called the Foxhole Podcast, which is which is quite interesting as well. So they've they've really taken him on board and his cause and are pushing uh, pushing his the message that he he he, he has. Father John, uh, we're running. I'm afraid, as always on the program, one of our problems is time. So we're up against the clock. But if I was to say to you this morning, you know, if you were to sum up the the story of Father Emil Capon for you know, for the for for the world today, and in terms of, you know, saints are held up as models and witnesses of the faith. What would you say is the message or the example that Father Emil holds up for us in the modern world? The thing that I've always been impressed with with Father Capon is going back to our what we were talking about that he's just a Kansas farm boy, and he was born with nothing had nothing throughout his life. He was able to do great things, miraculous things, with what he'd been given. Um, and I think that is a perfect example or a perfect sign to each and every one of us that each and every one of us can be a saint also. Because we have the example of Father Capon, who had nothing, and, be, and well, God's, willing, uh, God's will be done, I mean, become a saint. Uh, but we have that opportunity before us also. There probably isn't a person listening here on the, the radio that does not have more than what Father Capon did. Um, so if we use our resources as Father Capon used his resources, we too can be that saint. 
Father John Hotsey, uh, thank you so much this morning for joining us all the way from Kansas. We're delighted to have you on the program. So to close out this part of the program, uh, one suggested piece of music that we were given is actually Fate of Our Fathers. So we're going to listen to that now and then we'll move on to part three of the program. Father John, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So welcome back again to the, sec- the to the third part, actually, of Sacred Space, 102 FM. Uh, my name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. Thanks for bringing us that uh, interesting interview there, Shane. It's not too often that we take a chance of uh, dipping into maybe the process of uh, somebody becoming a saint. Something to 
keep us well we will keep uh, listeners posted because uh, I know Father John was on to shine and we'll forward any information that's pertinent but in the meantime we'll go for our, spiritual, uh, our prayer before reading and reflecting on scripture and we'll ask Shane to share that prayer with us thanks Shane Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it, let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So now we'll, we'll read the Gospel for the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and that's taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 26 to 34. Jesus said to the crowds, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man throws seed on the land, night and day, while he sleeps, and when he's awake, the seed is sprouting and growing. How? He does not know. Of its own accord, the land produces first the shoot, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the crop is ready, he loses no time, he starts to reap, because the harvest has come. He also said, What can we say about the the kingdom of God is like? What parable can we find for it? It's like a mustard seed, which at the time of its sowing in the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet once it's sown, it grows into the biggest shrub of them all, and puts out big branches so that the birds of the air can shelter in its shade. Using many parables like these, he spoke the word to them, so far as they were capable of understanding it. He would not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything to his disciples when they were alone. So that's the Gospel for today, Shane. You might share a thought or two with us. Thanks. Uh, thanks, John. Um, so with this week's Gospel, we return to Mark. And we are going to journey with him over the next couple of weeks uh, with maybe a few detours into John along the way. And looking at this morning's Gospel, um, it struck me, it depends very much on your experience of gardening. I think this. I think this morning for me, it, this, this week's gospel very much is very much something that could speak to us um, if we have some experience of growing things ourselves and being able to connect with that. And not everybody, I suppose, has that um, knowledge, ability, experience. Now, I don't mean necessarily that you're going out and planting absolutely, you know, acres and acres of spuds. Um, necessarily, it could be just you might have grown something in a pot on your windowsill you know, or whatever the case might be. But just that whole thing about how nature speaks to us sometimes about patience. Patience and just being open to see what will come. And I think it's an important thing for us to reflect on. I suppose it's kind of hard to hear that. One thing I, one thing I did find about the gospel this week is kind of hard to speak to the gospel because of our experience with COVID and the restrictions and the fact that we were being asked all the time to be patient and things would only get better and all the rest of it. And, you know, so now, of course, we're hoping to see the vaccine bounce, as they call it, or whatever, that that term that we can start doing things again. 
But in terms of this week's gospel, I think what struck me about it, John, was the call for patience, but also the call to let God be God. You know, when we look at the growth of seeds, we look at the whole, the two parables that are used by Jesus in this morning's gospel. He's trying to describe what the kingdom of God will be like. Now, for those doing their leaving cert this week, you'll have to tell me if that, is that a metaphor or is that a simile? Um, but it's, you know, he's trying to explain something, he's trying to describe something, but he's not telling us this is what it actually is. And he's trying to get across um, some fundamental truths to us. And it, I suppose we're a bit like the crowd in the parable or in the story, whereby we have to hear it in parables so that we can make the time and the space to understand what's been trying to be said. Um, whereas, I suppose, the challenge that's there for the disciples is that he was trying to explain to them what everything meant or what he meant and what he was trying to get across. I suppose this Sunday's Gospel is very much about that whole thing of seeds being planted and waiting to see what would happen with them and realizing for us that for many of us, there are so many things which we cannot control. And it's being able to think and pause and reflect about that in the busyness of our lives that maybe there are things which we, you know, we cannot control, we cannot stay on top of, which are outside our influence, and um, something that, you know, some things that we need to be able to kind of wait in patience, like the farmer for the crops to grow, or you know, the birds of the air waiting for the mustard tree to grow up. And it's just, you know, if you're driving along at the moment to the countryside, I don't know if people are driving out the county this side, but at the moment. I'd say some of the best grown grass in the whole of the country is on the side roads of Ireland, um, you know, because they're, they're, it's better than some of the fields that are on the other side of the ditch at the moment. A huge growth in terms of grass, in terms of ferns, all that kind of thing. And if you're trying to weed a garden, forget it. Um, the, with the grass and the heat and the water that we've had recently in terms of rain, trying to stay on top of it is a full-time challenge. But the whole point of it is that, you know, in many respects, you have to let nature be nature. And there's an invitation to us as well this weekend to let God be God. That we don't try to define him, we don't try to corral him, we don't try to restrict him, but that we recognize that we need to let God be God and for him to speak and approach us in the divine moments of encounter that are presented to us in each day of our lives. So for me, this Sunday's Gospel is very much focusing on that particular side of things. And of course, also reminding myself, I need to go out and do some we- I need to go out and do some weeding. You might send me a photograph of that, Shane. Uh, uh, <laughs> that now. Thank you very much indeed. Um, actually, what, what, what spoke with me this week um, was the very last line of the Gospel. But he explained everything to his disciples when they were alone. And... When I read and reflect on the Sunday Gospels each week, uh, I need help to, to listen as to what the Holy Spirit is, is asking me to stay with. When attending Lecture Divina there, um, and when we were able to do it there last year, with Father Frank Duke, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again shortly, as a group, we read the Gospel four times. This certainly helped me to hear what the Gospel was saying to us. But I needed to spend some time during the week to listen to the Holy Spirit when I was alone. The Spirit helps us to see where the points in the where the points in the gospel touch our lives and, and, and need to touch our lives. So for me, I, I, I can fully listen to the Spirit guide me when I'm alone without any distractions. It doesn't need to be long periods of prayer, but just an openness to give the Holy Spirit a chance. So maybe we could all give the Holy Spirit a chance this week by attentively listening to what the 
what the Holy Spirit is trying to explain to us in terms of the Gospel. And maybe more importantly, to see what seeds the Holy Spirit is trying to show us to plant. So that's about the end of our programme uh, today. We hope you, you enjoyed it and you got something from it, especially the interview that uh, Shane had there on the way in Kansas. Thanks a lot for bringing that to our attention, Shane. And we'll keep no the problem. listeners posted, yeah? Yep. In the meantime, uh, next week, uh, just to remind us, uh, the, the Sacred Space 102 FM um, 10 a.m. slot will include Mass coming live from the Redemptist Church in Nurmik for the Novena, the third day of the Novena. And uh, this time next week as well, we'll also be able to have Father Seamus and right on to tell us a bit more about Our Lady of Perpetual Help and the, the icon and so on and so forth. But in the meantime, it's time for us to go. We're going with a final piece of music this morning. It might be ideal because of what we just spoke about, seeds and so on and so forth. This one is, is entitled Sowing Seeds, and it's sung by maybe Staples. So next week, for myself and Shane, thanks again for joining us. We'll try and do it all again next week. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye.